Here at Doxedo Hatfield, we are a family on mission. Make sure to get connected by joining us at one of our Sunday services. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Okay, good stuff. Doxedo Hatfield, let's grab a seat if that's all right. Grab a friend, grab a seat, and then open up your Bible. So let's take our seats, let's take our seats. We're going to get into the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there are handout Bibles at the back. Otherwise, you can just use version on your phone or something to that effect. Good stuff. Okay, Hatfield, so let's open up the Bible to the book of Acts chapter 9, if that's all right. Acts chapter 9, while you're doing that, just to introduce myself, if you're new, my name's Joe, and together with my wife, she's in the kids' ministry this morning. We lead the team that leads Doxa Hatfield, and we're excited about being a multi-ethnic church here in the city of Twane. We believe that is the answer to South Africa, having 5,000 at least strong multi-ethnic churches. Amen? That's where reconciliation is going to happen, and part of the Doxedo family here in Hatfield, we're excited about what God is doing. So we're preaching through the book of Acts, and uh, for the seventh week in a row, I'll say that the series is called Those Jesus People for a Reason, because in Acts 11, for the first time in history, the Jesus followers are called Christians, Christians. So we recognize that in the first century Mediterranean world, they were not known for their opposition to things like gay people or science or something, and they were not known for their politics or their hatred or something. They were known for one thing, their passion for Jesus. They were so saturated with his life and his message and his way and his gospel that they became known as those Jesus people. And we are saying that's what our country and our city needs. And so as we've been looking at this, fast, you know, the different characteristics, facets of who they were, they were a people of service and a people of, you know, of life and a people of good news. Today we want to see that they are a people of healing. They were a people of healing. So read with me Acts 9. Verse 32, as Peter was traveling from place to place, he also came down to the saints who lived in Lydda, and there he found a man named Aeneas, who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you, so get up and make your bed. And immediately he got up. And so all who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Verse 36, in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. She was always doing good works and acts of charity. But about that time, she became sick and died. And after washing her, they placed her in the room upstairs. But since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples heard that Peter was there and sent two men to him who urged him, don't delay in coming with us. So Peter got up and he went with them. And when he arrived, they had they led him to the room upstairs, and all the widows approached him, weeping and showing him the robes and clothes that Dorcas had made while she was with him. So Peter sent them all out of the room. He knelt down, prayed, and turning toward the body, said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, saw Peter, and sat up. He gave her his hand, helped her to stand, and he called the saints and the widows and presented her alive. And this became known throughout Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. What an incredible and interesting passage. But what we see here and all throughout the Bible is that miracles are moments of the supernatural. And here Peter, he performs, I guess, he's a conduit for the miracle par excellence. And that is raising someone from the dead. 
And the reality is, outside of the exception of Jesus, there are only three moments in the whole Luke and Acts, its kind of sequel, that we see something this extraordinary happening, of which the third one I really have to make mention, because in Acts 20, we're going to get to it eventually, there's a moment where a young man, Paul is preaching, and he preaches so long that this man falls asleep out of a window and he dies. So can I just say, if you have something to say about our preaching, we haven't had anyone die in a long time in this church. So just throwing it out there. But here we have this lady called Tabitha, her Greek name, Dorcas, and she is miraculously brought back to life. But the reality is with these moments, as you see them kind of spread out through the book of Acts, it wasn't just an everyday thing, friends. I think we sometimes imagine the early church, just like every you know, gathering on a Sunday, people were just like being raised from the dead all the time. Like if someone's died, he's back. This guy's dead, he's back. It wasn't that simple. These things were extraordinary. And yet, I want to say at the same time, I think we often wrestle with the fact that why don't we see this happening kind of every two minutes in the church? Just the other day, we had a conversation in our community group, and one of the young adults said, this kind of bugs her. Like, why don't we commit ourselves to more prayer as a people? Like, in everyday life, just praying for healing and seeing that happening. Why don't we do it? We see all the gifts operating, but sometimes there's this, this kind of lack of confidence in the people of God today to pray for people for healing. And I want to say amen to that. Why not press into that as a people and instead of saying, just, you know, rallying us today emotionally, come on, guys, we can, we can do it, I'd rather say, let's allow the Holy Spirit to teach us about what healing is all about. And to do that, just two things today. Number one is I want us to see that this text through the Holy Spirit is helping us to adjust our perspective on being a people of healing. And secondly, just this, that we would embrace our role as a people of healing. Just adjust our perspective today begin that process, and then embrace the role that we have as a people of healing that you have and that I have. Amen? Woo! All right. Good start, guys. Maybe Jesus is not good in November. I'll just take that right back. So point number one, we need to adjust our perspective, allow the Spirit to do that. That's the invitation on being a people of healing. Now, in the Bible, all throughout, Moments of healing are always a sign to something greater. So if you see the bathroom sign, as clear as it is, as detailed as it is, as helpful as it is, you don't do your business at the bathroom sign. Did you realize that? All right, just saying. No, the, the bathroom sign is pointing to a greater reality, amen? So in the same way, I'm just teasing, uh, in the same way, I guess it depends on what kind of a setup you have there, if it's a greater reality or not. But the point is, in the Bible, it's always the same deal. When God heals someone, it's to point them to, and the people around them, to the greater reality of God and His kingdom. So here's my question. If that's the case, how many healings do we see in this passage this morning? Trick question. How many healings do we have in this passage? And I think the obvious answer is two, right? It's... Aeneas and Tabitha. But I want to say, I don't think that's the full story. I think we actually have three moments of healing. Read with me in verse 36 and highlight this in your Bible. It says in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. She was always doing good works and acts of charity to the effect that the widows approached Peter when she had died, weeping and showing him the robes and the clothes that Dorcas had made while she was with them. 
Friends, we actually see two types of healing taking place through those Jesus people in this passage, and both of them are bringing wholeness to the world. The first is physical healing happening through prayer, but the second is social healing happening through good works and acts of charity. There are more than one way of healing that's taking place, and both of them are from God. Both of them. So my question to us is, if we see that, the one is through the prayers of the people, there's physical healing, and the other is there's social pain that's getting healed. My question is, which of those two is godly? And which of those two actually shows people true Christian faith? And which of those two makes an impact in our community out here? Which of those two? And the answer is both. Both of those things, friends, listen to me today, all healing is God's healing. Whether it's through a doctor, whether it's supernaturally, or whether it's the healing that we see in a place like Peas in a Pod as we enter into those spaces and bring the healing of God, all of that is God's healing. And what's the impact? Just read with me again. The impact is with physical healing through prayer. What happened? Twice it says that people came to know the Lord. It wasn't about the healing even in itself. People saw the power of Jesus and they turned to him in faith. But listen to the impact on the very same side, social pain getting healed. What? There was even a weeping amongst the widows. This Jesus person so blessed us that her absence is horrifying to think of. So much healing flowed through her. All healing is God's healing. And we have to pursue both social pain and physical pain is the issue of the church in our city. And, but can I just say, I know this frustrates what I'm saying, some people on both sides of the coin, because some people, the moment we start engaging social issues in our city, then some people in the church say, yes, now the church is being the church, finally, like all the singing is done, now we can start doing the work of the church in the city. And other people, the moment we start speaking about the supernatural healing and prophecy and we're practicing that, then other people come alive and say, now the church is finally doing what the church is supposed to do. All this, you know, handing out bread and whatever, now we finally, we're getting into the meaty stuff of the Christian faith. And other people, it's the Bible people, it's the serving people, it's the whatever, everyone has their thing. But can I maybe just encourage us today, obviously, is that a mature church, as we venture always into that, will be a church where we say, listen, everyone is gifted differently. That's what the Bible says. And we need to champion all the gifting of the church. A mature body is one where all the gifts are operating together, and at the same time recognizing that there is no single local church in the world that has all of it together. Do you know that? There are churches in our city that have got such a grace upon them for certain things. And churches, on the other hand, that have got the exact opposite grace, and it's beautiful. But the fact is we need to press into all those things. So whether you are more gifted on the social pain side, you have such a gifting for entering that space, bringing hope, bringing healing, bringing aid, your time, treasures, your talents, or whether you are gifted by the Holy Spirit to pray for healing, the Bible says we are to do both. We are to engage both. We are to step into both. Amen? Thank you, Lachai. So let me tell you, Alan Platt, who's the founder of Doxadeo, he once at Doxadeo Ferry Glen, there was a morning where 
He was preaching and he felt at the end of the service that they should call to the front all the doctors and the medical personnel. And I typically, if you've been part of Dr. Day, that moment will usually be, that was his heart in the moment as well. Let's pray for our city changers because they have a calling from God as doctors and medical personnel. So we always say, what's the, you know, what are the programs of Dr. Day? And we say, no, you are the program. You are the city changer. The church scattering, going into Monday, that's the church. You are called and equipped as a painter, programmer, plumber, pediatrician. That's your calling. We are city changers. That's our message. So Alan typically wanted to just encourage the doctors and say, let's pray for them again. But as they started coming up, he just experienced in his heart, just the Holy Spirit saying to them, ask the doctors and the medical personnel to pray for the people for healing. Can you imagine that? Here are people that are dedicating their life to God's healing. Friends, science and medicine, that's all God's. Every day they are giving themselves to healing, but on that day, God wanted to make a statement and say, let them pray also for supernatural healing through prayer. And they prayed, and so many people were healed. My question is, which of the two? Is it social pain or is it physical pain that we should be engaging? And the answer is both. Both are from God. Both are supernatural, I would say. And both is what our city needs a people of healing. So how do we do that? How do we do that? I want to take you to a passage in John chapter 2. This is the gospel, the good news according to John. And in the opening chapters, second chapter, he has this critical moment. If you've hung around in church for two seconds, you'll know this story. It's Jesus and his mom and some disciples pitching up to this wedding feast. And halfway through the celebration, the wine runs out. Massive social blunder. And typically, as the story goes, so they bring the servants and Jesus' mom, they come to him and she says to him, massive challenge, the wine has run out. But listen to what she says to the servants when she speaks to Jesus. She tells them this, verse 5, do whatever he tells you. His mother told the servants. And so six stone water jars had been set there for Jewish purification. Verse 7, fill the jars with water, Jesus told them. And they filled them <laughs> to the brim. And then he said to them, now draw some and take it to the head waiter. And what? And they did. Isn't this profound? This incredible miracle happens in the context of what? Confusion. These guys were like, this is the water you use to wash yourself before you enter in. You want us to serve this to the people. That doesn't make any sense. But what was there? There was an expectation that Jesus would do something, and there was an obedience to what he said. Just those two things. Just an expectation and an obedience. Do whatever he tells you, and they did. Friends, when it comes to the social pain of our city, and we sometimes say, I'm just waiting for God to tell me that I should engage, that I should be generous, that I should help, that I should aid my neighbor, my friend, my colleague, the person next to the street. I'm just waiting for God. Or the moments of physical pain. My colleague mentions that he has this back issue, or this is happening, or my child is sick, and here's the moment where my mind says, but that's for the old, you know, in the Bible times. I'm not mature enough. I don't cognitively understand this process. I don't feel comfortable it's not within my time frame at the moment. It's, it's really bugging me. Friends, this is the moment where we say, don't wait until it fits your time. 
Don't wait until it makes cognitive sense to you. Don't wait until you have God speaking to you in the clouds. Just have an expectation that when you step into your office tomorrow morning, into your home, into your commune, onto the university, just have the expectation that God wants to use you. Whether for social pain or for physical pain, God has chosen and He said, I will work with my people. I will work through my people. And have obedience. Do whatever He tells you. There was an expectation. Friends, do you have an expectation when you come to church on a Sunday? I don't always have, so I'll just be honest. But the Lord kind of works on me usually, kind of in the morning. But I want to ask us this. Do we have an expectation when we come to church that God is going to powerfully work? Okay, what about when you step into your office? Do you have the expectation, not just for spreadsheets and difficult meetings, but that God might powerfully use me today to bring healing to social pain or to physical pain through prayer? Because guess what? Tabitha was already dead. Did you notice that? She wasn't like in a bad place. Inside joke, Moth, like, Moth, you're in, a, you're in a bad place. No, Tabitha was dead. But because of the, probably, just the space between these two towns, the story had already gotten to them, that God had powerfully used Peter. So why are they calling him? Expectation. Maybe God wants to do something. And listen to Peter. This is so classic. We always think these guys were such professionals. They were just like floating around on clouds, just hearing the Spirit, kind of Wi-Fi, like it was so professional. Guys, it wasn't the case. It says here in verse 38, they speak to Peter, don't delay in coming to us. So Peter got up and he went with them. Guys, Peter did not know if God was going to heal this woman. He didn't go there with like bare chest, guys, I'm here, I'm, I'm here to heal. It wasn't like that. He was like, I don't know, maybe this is God, so I will step in. Maybe this is God. There was an expectation that he stepped into. You know, many years ago, in the church that I kind of grew up in, we would play touch rugby on a Friday. And every single time, we had so many, you know, unchurched men come into the church just through playing touch rugby. But one of the commitments we made is that if anyone were to get injured, you know, you roll your ankle, you fall kind of awkwardly, we will pray for that person. And we saw people healed on that rugby field on a Friday evening. Why? Because the expectation was there. God will work. Now, the other day, I'm playing touch rugby in, uh, and I'm like an old buddy, so it's really difficult. And so now we're playing in uh, Centurion, and I fall awkwardly a couple of Mondays ago, and my shoulder feels a bit haha. You know how many people prayed for me? I was playing mostly with unchurched people. No one. Because there is not an expectation between those men that God will work. Guys, the simple thing to us is when you experience, just in your heart, in your mind, here is a moment where I can bring the healing of God to a social situation, or here is a moment where I can just be the conduit of prayer in a moment where someone is physically ailed, just step in. Have the expectation, maybe this is God. And secondly, they had just obedience. Do whatever he tells you, and they did. Whether it's an act of social healing, or whether it's an act of prayer, just do it, Nike says. That's so biblical, isn't it? Like Nike stole that from the Bible, I'm sure. Jesus' mother was like, that's my catchphrase. Just do whatever he tells you, and they did, and God acted. 
Isn't that beautiful? We don't have to do it. He does it. Maybe you know Gary Chapman's five love languages, or the couples. You guys know that well. And, uh, you know, he has this theory that couples receive and give love in different ways. So maybe it's acts of service. Maybe it's, you know, physical touch. Maybe it's quality time. But can I tell you that the Bible says that God has a love language. Do you know that? What is it? I'll give you one example. John 14, verse 15. Jesus speaking, and he says, If you love me, you will keep my commands. In fact, first John will later go and say, this is how we express love to God, by keeping His commands. When I experience the Spirit saying, give of your time, treasures, and talents to this moment, this person, this initiative, just do it. When I experience my child is sick, this colleague, I know this is like not the time. We're in the elevator. We're like in an awkward meeting with everyone. It's a year-end function, but this person is sick. Just do whatever he tells you. Let me give an example of both. So privileged the other day hearing the story of one of our Doxedo partners, not a guy from Doxedo Hatfield, but one of the other campuses, businessman, and just telling the story how in his business the one morning he walks in, and this one lady, they've known each other for years, and she works for him, and she just looks so down, so dejected. But he says, I'm busy, like I've got a million things to do. It's one of those mornings, like I've, I've got to get stuff done. But he just experiences the Holy Spirit saying, connect with this woman today. And so they go to his office and he just asks her, how are you doing? And she breaks and she cries and she says, long story short, that for the last many years, her and her children have been abused by her husband, physical abuse. And he sits there, and he's so taken aback. He's never taken the time to connect with this person in this way. And so they are just crying together. He's crying, and she's crying. And in that moment, maybe this is God. He just steps in, and he says, at my own cost, he starts organizing intervention between the two of them. He gets the right people involved, but eventually her husband just says, I'm over this. And he steps out. He moves out. And she sends him a message to say that first evening when they slept in their house, it was the first time in years that for her and her kids, they just slept through in peace. Sure, guys, maybe this is God. Social pain, that's our issue. Or maybe the converse, good friend of mine, Leonard from the Western Cape, he's walking in the mall with his with his wife, and they strike up a conversation randomly with a person, and he says it's that awkward moment where God, he just feels nudged to say, ask this person about something that's, that's you know, painful in their life, and he's like, this is, I don't know how to do this, like, this is for the, the Bible people or something, that evangelist or someone, and he just, he's just like, okay, cool, listen, I know this is random, but do you, do you have, like, something wrong or something that's painful, and this person says, my ankle, and in that moment, maybe it's God. Just do what He tells you. And in the mall, probably with people looking, us introverts die just hearing the story. They just pray for this person and they heal. Can you believe that? No, it didn't happen every two seconds in that church or in our church, but it does happen. And it's when we step in and we say, maybe I should just change my mind, my perspective on what healing is, physical healing and social healing. It's our thing. And friends, can I just release us? These people and those Jesus people, us, you don't have to be. It's not like Harry Potter, guys. Can we just say that? You're expecting like Hagrid to pitch up and like, Harry, 
you're a wizard or something like that. And you just have the powers and you walk around and just zap people and they healed. It's not like that. It's the everyday supernatural. It's just the stepping in and praying. It's just the stepping in and giving. Just change our perspective on a people of healing. But lastly, not just to shift our perspective on that, but to embrace that role. You have a calling as a person of healing. Embrace that role. Listen to this, verse 34. Highlight this portion. It says, Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Isn't that powerful? Jesus Christ heals you, and he gets up and he makes his bed immediately. I love that, because guess what? We are not called to heal a single person. We are not called to heal society. It is the one who is within us who is the healer. The one who lives within us through his power and presence and authority, he is the one who heals. You don't have to be God. Let God be God. Just step into these moments with obedience and expectation. Jesus will be the one who brings healing. Whether that is social healing, whether that's emotional healing, whether it's spiritual healing, whether it's physical healing, Jesus is the healer. I can simply pray. I can simply step in. Luke 9, this is fascinating. Jesus summons his 12 disciples, and it says this. He gave them power and authority over all demons and to heal diseases. Don't you love that? He didn't say, guys, the training was successful, the seminars, you know, the talks. Okay, guys, you're amazing. You're brilliant. Let's go. And he just chases them out like a bunch of wild dogs, and there they go and do their thing. No, he says, I give you the authority. I give you the power. We don't have, as Christians, an ounce of power or authority in of ourselves. It has been graciously given to us through the one who has all power and authority. Matthew 28, I will be with you to the end of the age. He says, I have been given all authority, Jesus says, and now I am with you. So why this is so freeing to me is, guess what? If you feel, but I am not qualified, I'm not mature enough as a Christian yet, I don't have the right words, I feel insecure, the awesome thing is, number one, join the club, that's called Christianity, and number two, it's irrelevant, because it's not you, it's Jesus. As long as you have His Spirit within you, you are the most powerful Christian in the history of the church. You don't have to be qualified. He qualifies you. One of my favorite books on the supernatural, it's called literally Everyday Supernatural, Mike Pilavachi and Dan Croft. And they, they run these massive, for years now, 20 years, they have run these huge conferences in the, in the UK called Soul Survivor, where they draw thousands and thousands of young people, students and young adults, and they come together and they worship and they just pursue the Lord's presence. And he tells the story of a lady called Anne. She's a South African, actually. And Anne gets this prognosis that she has basically lost almost all of her eyesight and it's going to deteriorate even further. And out of desperation, she goes to the UK, to Moorfield Eye Institute, and they unfortunately just confirm the prognosis. You are going to be blind very soon. And long story short, she is invited by some friends to this Soul Survivor Conference. And at this conference, not the speaker, not prophet who and what, 
Not person who arrives in some fancy car and sprays you with doom or nothing like that. Just a bunch of teenagers. A bunch of teenagers like Dre. Three or four of them pray for this lady, Anne, and guess what? She's healed. Perfect sight once again. I love that because guess what? These teenagers were not qualified theologically. They were probably not even all that mature emotionally, but that didn't matter. It was them just saying, I have an expectation and obedience and Jesus healed. That is the church. That is the church. I love this, verse 34 and verse 40. Do you see that Peter twice prays for someone to be healed? And neither one of the times he uses the same language. And every single time, go and do your own study. Go and read the book of Acts and see what is the magical incantation you need to use to, to heal people. You won't find it because sometimes it's this, sometimes it's that, sometimes it's big and emotional, sometimes it's quiet. What's the point? There is no one way to pray for people. There's no magical set of words you can use. I can't teach you how to pray for people. That's the beauty of it. But let me just give you a one minute, maybe just two or three just rocks to hold onto and say, God, you're going to use my temperament, my personality, my circle of influence. Just one minute, workshop. Just ask the person, if you're praying for healing, just a simple question. What is painful? Where are you painful? Where are you experiencing pain? Where are you ailed in some way? Just ask them. Secondly, just pray in the name of Jesus. Just speak to them and say, listen, in the name of Jesus, I pray for your healing. Just invite the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I invite you to come and work in this moment. And then thirdly, just wait and see. Just wait. Wait and see what is the Father doing in that moment. Sometimes don't be rushed. Again, for us introverts, this is going to stretch us to the max because maybe just for a moment, just be quiet after you pray. Just wait. Sometimes people experience something deeply emotional in that moment. Sometimes they start experiencing something very physical in that moment. Sometimes you experience a word that you can share with them. All we need to do is with expectation and obedience say, where are you experiencing pain? I just pray in the name of Jesus for your healing. I invite just the Holy Spirit, just come and do your work, and I wait and see what the Father is doing. They were simply a people of healing. Now, let me finish off just by saying this. Verse 35, for me, is so powerful. It says, all who lived in Lydda and Sharon, they saw this healing, and what? And they turned to the Lord. And again, verse 42, this became known, this healing, all throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Friends, do you see that as incredibly powerful as physical healing is, it's always pointing to the deeper need that every human heart has. I do not know my Father. Do you realize that both Aeneas and Tabitha are dead today? They're not walking around in the church. <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing if they're like in Doxa, Brooklyn or something? You just go and chat to them like, whoa, dude, like just amazing. But they did. Because even though this was just a moment, often healing is just the Father just showering His goodness upon someone in a moment. It's His choice. But guess what? That is not the deepest need of any human heart. 
I find it fascinating. In Matthew 8 to 10, Matthew, speaking of the life of Jesus, he builds very intentionally up over three chapters, these three sets of three miracles. And they each climb in their intensity. The one is just physical healing. Then it's power over nature, three more miracles. And then it's power over the supernatural and demons. It's almost like he's building and building and building to this massive climax. Like, what's going to happen? Is Jesus going to split the earth open? Is he gonna, what's he going to do? He's going to fly around like in the matrix. I don't know. What's he going to do? And this is what happens at the climax of that moment. Matthew 9, verse 1. So he got into a boat, he crossed over, he came to his town, and then he saw some men who brought him a paralytic lying on a stretcher. And you think, here it comes, we know the formula, he's going to heal this man, it's going to be powerful. And what does he say? Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, have courage, son, your sins are forgiven. He builds it up for three chapters, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And it's at that moment that the authorities say, this man must die. This, we can't take. Healing, we can take. Teaching, we can take. Profound sayings, we can take. But someone who claims to bring forgiveness and reconciliation between man and God, this is blasphemy. Jesus heals this man at the end. But he says, which is easier, healing a man physically or raising a dead man spiritually to life. He says, this is what I have come to do. My kingdom is full of wholeness and healing and joy and peace. But you have to know your Father in heaven. You have to know your calling. You have to be brought into new life. Friends, in a crisis moment, I can say, God, please heal my wife. Heal her cancer. I can say, God, please salvage my business. God, please, will you bring me through that exam? All the students, amen, that's a miracle, God. That will be a a miraculous moment. But friends, we said last week, you can have the whole world and yet lose your soul. Jesus says, I've come to do the most powerful thing. At the heart of every, every human being, there is this sense of guilt, of brokenness, of disconnection, and I come to bring you into the house of your father. Can I just say, my son, our middle child, he has genetic hearing loss. He was born with a genetic abnormality, and his prognosis is very similar to Anne. He is going to progressively lose his hearing until the day that he has to get bilateral cochlear implants. Now, I tell you, as a pastor and as a father, I wrestle with the Lord about this. Why? And I tell you, I'm not going to stop praying for his healing. I'm not. But guess what? The most beautiful testimony for my son's life will not be whether his hearing was restored. But it will be whether he knew that his father in heaven loved him and calls him and commissions him. The testimony of my son's life long after I am dead will be that this was a man who knew his father and he walked with him hearing or not. That is a people of healing. Social pain, physical pain, spiritual pain. That's your calling and that's my calling. Amen? Let's pray. Maybe the worship team can just join me. So Jesus, this morning I... I want to just acquire our hearts just for a second and just invite you, Holy Spirit, 
Just what do you want to do this morning? What's your heart for us? And I pray that every person here today, God, would receive just once again the call upon their life that they, because of Jesus, are a person of healing. God, give us the courage and the boldness, the conviction that you love us before we do a single thing for you, that we would just do whatever you tell us. In Jesus' name.